So Devin, thanks so much for making the time to be on the show. Um, I caught up with you, what, two weeks ago? And yeah. it had been years before we had seen each other. In fact, we saw each other at Sundance. Yeah. Um, and then we, we had lunch and we were able to catch up and everything. So it's just really cool to have you on the show today. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to catch back up. I think it had been probably at least five or six years before Sundance since I'd seen you, I, yeah. I think. Been a minute. So consider you to be a fantastic friend, fantastic leader. Um, you're one of the great guys, the good old boys, just the guy that's just one of the, OGs. the real deal, the OG. So we, we met each other in the direct to home arena. Um, we did satellites together. Um, you were in my first office that we ran at Vivint as well. Um, you had a fiasco at the, if you, if you don't mind telling that story about the car, that's kind of a funny story. Because I was looking for you. I'm like, where is Devin? And all of a sudden, where were you? Detroit or something? Detroit. I was, I was literally camped out on 11 Mile. So, so explain to the audience, like, what was going on in Detroit? Well, we had gone through a bit of chaos. The nuclear bomb at our last company had gone off. And I, I had probably been living a little over my skis at that point and had a lease on a car that I probably shouldn't have had. And so when things went bad, you know, I, I took the path of least resistance to get that thing unloaded, which was like a sublease or something, like right? subleasing the car. <laughs> and there was this company out in Detroit that like advertised, like, this is what they did. I remember that company. Yeah. I think there was four or five or six of us that is like one guy found out you could sublease to this guy. <laughs> so then like 10 cars show up probably. Yeah. And it was and, a BMW seven series. If yeah. I remember. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the short version of the story is you had a, you know, a user lose it like car stipend. So you go max it out, you get the best car you can and you don't think like, Oh, this is a lease. If the company <laughs> that's paying the stipend goes away, yeah, you yeah. still owe the payment. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly what happened. I can't make a $900 a month payment. Yep. So you sublease it. I think it even turned into just a tiny bit of cash flow for a minute. Oh. So it's like, oh, this is a pretty good Ar deal. Some arbitrage. Yeah. And then three months later, no payments, no payments, no payments. The bank's calling, where's our car, blah, blah, blah. And the guys won't answer the phone. So I'm like, well, I'll just go find <laughs> these down guys. In Detroit. So I show up this guy's office. He's like, who are you? I'm like, I'm the guy that gave you that car. And he's like, oh, let me find it. And he couldn't track the guy down. So I went to the address registered, which is this all busted down, burned out house. But I found a piece of mail in that mailbox and I went to that address. It was like a forwarding address. And I knock on the door of this lady. I'm like, I, I'm sorry to be here. So just randomly, this is why I'm here. And she starts just cussing, not at me, like at this guy who's not there. And I'm like, what is going on? She picks up the phone. Turns out it's like her ex-husband or they're getting a divorce and she's just screaming at him you talk to this guy you get him his car hands hands me the phone we go back and forth he's like oh i got it in the storage unit blah 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 so anyways long story short we get it back well he says he's going to be bringing it back i go back to the hotel i wake up in the morning the car never shows up now it's gone and so then I go back to Virginia. Then the guy says, we got it. I come back it, because the police had called me and said, hey, we found this car. It was in an impound lot. So I go out to the impound lot so I could drive back out to Detroit. I get to the police department and they're like, oh, 
No, you just picked up that car. I'm like, I didn't just pick up the car. I'm here right now. They go pull up the paperwork. They're like, no, here's the ID the guy gave. Doesn't look anything like it. So they had released the car to some other guy. He takes the car off. Now it's gone for a second oh, time. Oh, my gosh. I go back to Virginia. Then I get a call like two weeks later from the police, the highway patrol. Hey, your car's wrecked on the freeway. Can you come get it? I'm like, what? So then they send me pictures. I go back out to Detroit. It's totaled. There's alcohol oh, all over the car. I didn't know all this. Fireworks. There's blood in it because they had wrecked on the freeway. Yeah. They were out partying, shooting off fireworks, and the car's total. So I call BMW. <laughs> Here's your car. The insurance. What a crazy like, story. I just remember we're in, because we were knocking doors in Virginia, yeah. right? Fairfax County. And it's like, where's Devin? Where's Devin? I think I called him like, dude, I'm chasing down my car in Detroit. I'm like, what? Yeah. And, 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 and look at the story that it became. Well, I, what I, was terrible is I didn't have any money. So I couldn't afford to stay a night in a hotel. Right. So I was sleeping in my car, like on nine mile, 11 mile. There was a Walmart I'd stay at, but it was super, super scary to be honest. So I, I have a blow up mattress in my Dodge Durango. I got my nine millimeter under my pillow trying to find this car. It was terrible. That that's a crazy, crazy story. I didn't even, I mean, I'm, I'm learning a lot about this story right yeah. now on this, on this show, but I, I guess, you know, starting off with that, like, what are some of the lessons to be learned? Sure. The obvious one is, you know, be a better steward with, you know, capital leasing and all that stuff. But what about the grit, the grind? And it wasn't, it didn't define who you are. It was just a defining moment, Yeah. but it didn't define who Devin Johnson was because if you fast forward and look at how successful you've been in all aspects of life, when you analyze your life today, it's like fascinating what you've accomplished. And we're going to dig into that later on. But what were some of those defining moments? What can we learn from, from that craziness? Well, I don't know. I think a few things. One, you know, you go a year before that, right? And, and we're all flying high. Yep. I mean, you only knew an economy that did this. You just felt like you had the golden touch. Things couldn't go wrong. You put money anywhere. It grew into something. And that's fine. But, you know, I, I think that even when things are well, it's, it's wise to, to live within your means. Yeah. And even at that time, I was spending money I was making, you know, um, but everything I had extra, I had invested, um, into places I shouldn't have invested, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but you know, I didn't have anything left. How, so, how old were you back then? What, what age is uh, this? This was, let's see, my first summer would have been when I was 22. So this would have been like probably the third summer, fourth summer. So I was probably 24, 23. Okay. Maybe 25 because right during this time I was getting married. I just got married actually because this whole thing blew up three weeks before my wedding. <laughs> um, and so this was right after the wedding. Uh, that was in the fall. So this would have been like spring of that next year. So so one good thing so, is you learned those lessons early. Early, which is a good thing because I think I had the personality. If, if things hadn't gone like terribly bad, sure, I think I would have just kept pushing and pushing and pushing until something broke. So I, I do feel like, man, I'm glad it broke when I was in my 20s and only one kid on the way and yep. not five kids in college, yeah. you know, in my 50s. I mean, imagine if it would have occurred today or 10 years from now. Yeah. Like, luckily, you're able to learn those lessons early so that you can see 
yeah. you know, what it's like and you can make proper decisions on the go forward. Not, not only that, but I, I think one of the other things that I learned from all of that, like, cause you, you follow the months after that. I, I was humiliated. I was depressed. I was just absolutely miserable. I had done fairly well up to that point for a mid twenties kid. Um, and, and then you go from feeling, you know, like you're accomplishing something somewhat yep. satisfied in your career to humiliated and embarrassed. And I'm out trying to knock doors and I'm supposed to be killing it. This company had just like, I, in fact, they gave me a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, like a prepayment on commissions, yeah, you yeah. know, and I'm out here chasing cars around. <laughs> I should be selling doing deals for this company that's yeah. helped me out, but your mind and I'm distracted and all else. this other yeah. mess, you know? And so you just feel terrible. You, you, and, and so I it just, it, it couldn't have got worse, you know, no money worse than no money, like right. owing money everywhere, bankrupt. Just, you just could not have gotten worse yeah. at that point. That, and, that, that, now, as you say that though, now looking back, is, is it, is it as bad as you thought it was? Was it worse than you thought it was? I was think, there hyperbole in there? I, or? No, I think I think both. I think I think it was it was it was probably worse than I even realized at that point. But the flip side of that, and this is the other lesson, is that I survived it, right? Like you you put one foot in front of the other. And the reason I think that's important is now going forward from there, first of all, I made a lot of decisions differently. When I when I ended up starting my next company, I did things way differently than I would have before for some reasons out of fear, but that ended up being a good thing. The way that we would acquire new trucks and the way I would hire new people. I, I was so scared to have debt ever again. You know, I never bought a car with a loan again. I, I paid off my house the first second I could. Like I did things totally different. At the same time, my, my sense of caution, I don't want to say I've become like risk intolerant, but you know, a lot of things will hold you back from progressing in life, right? Like, oh man, I want to do this side hustle, but I'm going to have to, you know, what if it doesn't work out? What if I buy this inventory and things don't work out? And it's like, these, all these things will hold you back. And after I'd gone through like what at that time in my life just felt like the worst thing that could have happened and still survived. It's like, oh yeah, things can go bad. Things might still go bad. I'm in a really tough spot right now, just in my life. You know, and there's a lot of things in front of me that I don't know how we're going to overcome. But having been as low as I was and survived, I think now you're, you're confident, not in that you'll always have success, but you're confident in that if things go wrong and things don't work out, the sun's still going to come up tomorrow. You're still going to hopefully love your wife and your kids are still going to think you're a dude when you're a schmuck. You know, your dog's still going to come up and wag its tail and want to hug you like it will, things will go on and, and you can still move forward. And so, so having that cost is like, oh yeah, things got really bad. I didn't think it could get worse and I still survived. Now all of a sudden you're willing to take, I don't know if I would say unnecessary risk, but you view risk differently because you know, like, yeah, things go, things might go bad. And, and just cause I've, I've, you know, lightning struck once doesn't mean it's going to strike again. And so things could go bad again. But I, but I know I can survive it. I know I'll figure it out somehow, some way. And so I think that's the flip side of that lesson is, you know, things go wrong. Things can go bad and, and it happens to everybody. can figure it like out. The, th this is the issue. We watch everybody's highlight reel, the people that we want to emulate yeah. or the people that we read about, read about our mentors. We see when they're at the peak 
Yeah. But we didn't see this story. Like I'm sure you being CEO of your company, a lot of your employees probably don't know about this oh, story. No. no. Right? But they see you at the top, you know, killing it, doing super well, creating economies of scale. But really what defines us are these dark moments in life. Yeah. They're they're the refiner's fire. We say this all the time, but the darkest nights produce the brightest stars. If there's no darkness, the light can't creep in. Yeah. So we, we're not chasing this adversity. We don't want to bring it upon us. But let's welcome it because life happens for us, yeah. not to us. And if we want to avoid mishaps, we're never going to grow. Like the, Life is, is designed to grow, and we're supposed to live life by design. Yeah. So you can either live in your comfort zone and wilt away and die, or leave comfort, start playing with fear. But when you're dancing with fear, that's where the learning comes in. And after you learn, then you can start growing. Yeah. So now, now, now let's do this. So you, you know this, and and now we can laugh about your story. Like back then, if I would have brought it up, you would have probably punched me in the mouth. It's like, bro, this yeah. this sucked. Why in the hell would you bring it up? Yeah. But now it's a funny story, and it's cool that it happened to you because it's it's something that we can talk about and laugh <laughs> I don't about know if together. Cool is the right word. Oh, it's cool. It's a cool story. You're in Detroit <laughs> chasing down your car. There was blood yeah. in the car. It got wrecked, and it was crazy. Yeah. So that's a cool story to tell. Yeah, but. You started in your current industry in what year? Was it 2011? Yeah, I started, uh, let's see, probably would have been 10th, 2010-ish, 11-ish. Yep. Um, okay, so you, you were in the direct-to-home arena. Yep. You exited in what year from direct-to-home? I think that I think that summer, well, that summer I finished knocking and um, I was, I, I had just, I was just miserable. You know, I, I was embarrassed. I was miserable. I, I was willing to take any job I could get, I would have been anyone's executive assistant at the drop of a hat. Like I just need but, to get but, paid. But, but this is what's interesting. Probably the only person that really cared about how you were feeling as much as it was just you. Like that's just your perception. Does that make sense? Po but, possibly. But, but, but you still have all that value. But you, you know what I mean? Like, well, I think it's the gap between like you have this internal sense of like potential or worth like, man, I know I can do better than this. And, and I'm in such a humiliating spot. So, 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 so what I'm trying to say is with all that, that happened, yeah. I still saw you as a fantastic, incredible human being that I knew was going to go to the moon with whatever you choose to do. Well, that, that is nice to hear because you don't like your internal perspective is not that you're like, Oh my gosh, I let all these guys down. I let this company down. Like I, you know, I'm sparse. I'm supposed to, you know, be a part of the, the A team. And, you know, I couldn't even cut it on a D team right yeah, now. Yeah. Like you just, you just feel terrible about yourself and you're trying to deal with all this stuff. And yeah, that, that was hard. Okay. Um, so was that the exit right there? Was that the last year in direct to home? I can't remember. That, well, that was, that was the last time I was out trying to make a living knocking doors. Okay. However, as I pivoted into what I was, the next thing I was doing I still was actually knocking doors. I was just selling a different product, um, but not I the mean, summer model like we're not, used to. Not the summer model. Nope. Uh, it was in, it was in logistics, and I I was miserable with the jobs that I had. And there was um, one of the jobs I had is was helping another company, and um, as a part of my job, it was kind of flushing out like, is this is this company you know worth investing in? And I was just a due diligence guy. Yeah. A part of their model was selling their their logistics products door to door, and I literally just thought, if these guys can make money doing this job, I can make money doing this job. And um, so I started going to warehouses and complexes every day um, during the days 
selling this little logistics product. And um, at nights, I had a little dish retailer ship leaning on the stuff we had done previously. Mm. And I had an installer that would fall, that I would just call, say, hey, here's a job. So I was supporting the family off the sales I'd make at night selling dish while I was trying to build up this little revenue stream during the days with logistics. Got it. So for I did that for three or four years. But while I did that, I don't know if you remember this, um, I had... So those were kind of like my two day jobs. But then on the side, I would work for you and Casey, like doing consulting, like management consulting. So as you guys would spin up summer offices, I'd go out. I remember working with a couple of your managers. I won't say names, but it was like, oh man, this is like, because you guys had like co-managers or some kind of structure. Man, a couple of those offices were like, like marriages on the verge of divorce. It was like, man, you guys got to get along or this is going to be a disaster. You know? So, I, so I was kind of like a, I'd go out, help them Coaching, open their offices. Yep. Help. Cause you start the summer and you got 15 new guys and you got one or two managers. Yep. Like they can't train everyone in, in two days. Yep. So I would go out and I'd go out with the new guys and help train and get them, you know, and I'd go to the next office. And that was a huge help for me because, um, it was some additional revenue to pay my bills on, you know? And so I would, I would go to the offices, do trainings. I'd go out when the summer would start and help them launch their offices and bounce around and then get back and be selling satellites at nights and selling that's, shipping that's the during hustle. the days. That's the hustle. Yeah, it was. So at what point did you create, um, first mile? So starting first mile was a little bit of a process. Um, it, it wasn't a, like, it wasn't even a, I have an idea. I want to launch this thing. And I think this is something worth pointing out. Like a lot of times you hear, you know, do what you love or find what you're good at and do that. Or, you know, which I, I don't think is unwise advice necessarily, but that's not how it played out for me. Cause I guarantee you, nobody wakes up or goes to school when they're 10 years old and says, when I grow up, I want to be in shipping. Like that's not a thing, you sure. know? Um, I was just doing what paid the bills, Sure, but I, I paid attention to the details. And in, in that process of grinding it out, I learned how logistics products work with technology. And in doing that, I realized like, man, there's this, there's this big demand in this certain segment of the market that's not being met by the current providers out there. Like you don't wake up and try and compete with UPS and FedEx. It's very, very, very difficult. Um, and so I, I learned that like, oh, here's these problems like, I think I could solve them for this one customer. And then you realize like, oh, if I could solve that, these three problems for this customer, then I could probably do it for the guy down the street. And now because I'm doing it for the guy down the street, I can add the other guy on the other block. And, you know, for me, that was building some technology that gave them access to these networks that they couldn't get access to. That meant me driving in my little 1990 Jeep Cherokee that was all rusted out and filling up the trunk three times a night to pick up their packages and get them into a mail terminal. Um, and so you start connecting these dots, you start solving these problems. And if you can solve that problem in a way that has scale, not that it scales right now, but if it has potential to scale, like that's when I think you're onto something, mm. right? It's, it's one thing to solve a problem and it's another way to, to do it. Like, Oh, I could solve this problem 10 times in a week, but it's not going to have a lot of longevity if it can't scale. And so, um, so it was a process of, one, getting to know an industry that I had no intention of getting into, but paying attention to the details, being good to people, solving problems and being good at it. Like that's, that's where it's like, Hey, if you're doing something that you don't love, you can still show up with a smile on your face. If you're doing something that's hard, that you're mis even miserable in, just fake it and be the best one at that thing. 
and pay attention to your surroundings because you don't know when that next relationship is going to mean something else. Sure. And, and so over time we created this model that, that grew into something else. Um, and that's what became first mile. That's awesome. Um, so at some point you had a transaction. So after you had inception and at what point after inception did you start getting noticed from other big firms? Well, so, I mean, the timeline would be like, you know, I started knocking doors, selling transportation products. Let's call it like 2009, 10 ish. Um, we sort of pivoted into the model that we are today, probably in like 2012, 13. Okay. And then grew that for, um, well, you know, almost 10 years, eight, nine, 10 years. Okay. Um, and then in 2000, the end of 2019, I believe it was, uh, we, we sold to a, to a large company, um, uh, called Rakuten, a uh, great company, amazing founder, amazing story. Japanese company. Yep. Yeah. Hiroshi Mikitani, probably one of the most inspirational stories you'll ever meet. I mean, you can Google him. He's got some books, like really phenomenal guy, amazing company. Um, and we sold to them in 2019. Okay. Um, big transaction, right? From what I read and everything. Yeah. I mean, not, not, not huge in the way that like you're changing generations or anything, uh, but, but, but big for, uh, for me, you know, for us and just in terms of like, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, where you could retire and never have to work another day in your life type of situation, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair to say. Okay. You'd always have a pantry full of, of, of food. Yeah. If, 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 if I didn't have the personality I have, I definitely could have done that. <laughs> But I, I was going to keep gambling. <laughs> <laughs> so you get acquired by Rakuten. Rakuten, yeah. I had actually done a case study in Rakuten called Anglonization. Oh. Where the CEO gets together with his entire staff and says, we are a Japanese nation. We're an island nation. There, there's nothing around us. So we have to learn the language of business. Yeah. And for us, the company that we run, that language of business is English. Yeah. So we have to have everybody speaking English. And this is our timeline. Yeah. We will provide tutors, we'll provide classes, we'll provide everything for you. But by this date, we have to pivot from conducting all of our meetings, all of our emails, all of our interviews yep. in Japanese into now English. Yes. When I read that case study, I'm like, this is insanity. How, how does anybody yeah. do this? And their sales and their valuation and everything skyrocketed because they all came together and made it happen. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I read and heard that you had been acquired by Rakuten, I'm like, wow. Like yeah. the proximity case study on this. Maybe I read it eight months prior and then yeah. my, my buddy has this transaction. I know it was a phenomenal transaction for you. So congrats on that. And not too long ago, you bought the company back yeah. from Rakuten, right? Yeah. So why did you, why did you, cause you were, you were done. Te, weren't you like buying, uh, bought a ranch and herding <laughs> cattle and things like that? Cause I yeah. see you with your belt buckle still. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we, I mean, what's interesting about that store and the, and, and them, like saying, Hey, everyone's got to learn English. Like that would be so impossibly hard. And what's, what's interesting about Could you that imagine is, if here we said everybody has to learn Japanese, oh, it, there's just no way. No, 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 no way. Um, and, and we couldn't, I, I mean, I don't even think our workforce would be able to make that pivot in most cases, but, um, what was, what's interesting about that is in the early days of starting this company, I used to go to these trade shows. In fact, at this particular trade show, I'll tell you just a quick little story about, um, I, I had just started. I knew there were some potential customers I could go get, but I had no money. And because of, this is an example of like the lesson I learned in the last world that we were in and going through that whole process. Like I had gotten to where I was always, I prepaid our rent. 
and I prepaid it two months. Like I saved and saved and saved. So this I could is your say, home rent or this is my rent. home rent. Like, because I didn't want to get in a situation where things went bad and I had nowhere to live right now. Sure. So I'd gotten to where I, I had paid two months in advance, but I still paid every month. So I knew I had, okay, if things it, go bad with what I'm doing, I have somewhere to call a house for 60 days till I figure out the next was thing. Was that more of like an insurance policy for you so that you could create massive value on the other side because your home front is protected? At, at that, yes and no. At that point, like I just, I didn't know, like I'm out selling shipping door to door. I'm selling satellite at night. I don't know where the next dollar is coming sure. from. I'm just eating what I can kill and I don't know if I'm going to be able to kill something tomorrow. Sure. So I just had saved up and prepaid my rent 60 days in advance. So as I'm making monthly payments, I know if money dries up tomorrow, I can breathe. I can have shelter for 60 days. Sure. But I'd gotten to this point where I wanted to go to this trade show out in North Carolina, um, actually at, at Duke university. And, and I, so I told my wife like, Hey, this is going to use up our rent. So I know I can still survive for about another 30, 60 days, but we're going to be missing some rent payments because I'm going to use our rent payments to go to this trade show. And so it was just like devast. It felt like a devastating decision at that time. Um, what's, you know, cause I'm going out, I have zero credit. I have no money. I get, to, and, and at this very show, I get to the rental car place and I can't rent the car because mm. I don't have a credit card. Cause I have no credit. Right. And I'd gone with my debit card. And the, so I spent two hours negotiating with the rental car lady to take my debit card versus my credit card. But at that show, I heard about this company called Rakuten and they did this big announcement of this show about, Hey, because they had just done these acquisitions in the US. They were making this big entry into buying buy.com, which is the e-commerce thing. And and they, I remember being on this camera. Or I was on the camera, but but Hiroshi Mikitani was on this video. And they just announced everyone in our company has to learn English. Ooh. So you bringing that up, wow. it like takes me back to those wow. days. And I just happened to be at this show. Sorry about that. Um where they announced this thing, little did I know I'd become a part of their ecosystem to some degree 10 years later. Wow. But that's what I'm saying. Like, even when things are hard, you just be good to everyone. You never know what dot's going to connect. You're always a handshake away. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, like, it's crazy, but it's true. Like how you, how you interact with a server at a restaurant, how do you interact with somebody that's clean the hallways at an office building how you interact with anybody, you just, you never know. No, that, you never know. That server could one day be the investment bank that buys your company. Yeah. That person mopping the floors could be the next million dollar check that puts money in your real estate deal. Yeah. You just never know. You never know. Like you, you have, you, people are assets. Things yeah. are not, you have to treat everybody yeah. like gold. Yep. And I believe that you have to treat everybody the way they would like to be treated. Yep. I think when we were growing up, our mamas and our papas taught us, hey, treat other people the way you want to be treated. I think the ultimate form of interacting with human beings is treat people the way they want to be treated. Yeah. Speak their love language. Like yep. express yourself the way that they would like to be um, understood. Yeah. Okay. So you transact, you buy the company back. You're active in what? Do you have a title with the company now, or just founding partner? How, no, how does I, that work? I, so we we sold two companies to them. Um, they they had this really brilliant idea. Um, you know, they they were in the e-commerce space, and they they owned a, a company that did fulfillment in the United States, um, and they were going to grow that network to a lot of locations. Uh, but they needed some logistics technology and expertise, which uh, our company provided. First Mile. We also owned another small fulfillment business at that time. So. 
when we transacted, we sold them two companies. Our, 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 our fulfillment business became a part of their existing fulfillment network. And, and then and, uh, trucks, how many trucks is this? How, how big is this operation? Well, we had probably about maybe call it 85 to 90 employees at that time. You know, I don't know, probably 150, 200 customers, 300 customers. Um, I don't know on trucks. I mean, not a lot. Even today, we don't have a ton of trucks. Um, but we were a decent sized company. Um, you know, I, I would revenue is probably maybe in the nineties million ish, something like 90 that. 90 million in rev. Um, so we're a, we're a decent sized company at that time. Um, but our technology was really special. And so, uh, the idea was they had this division, which was like one of 70 divisions of the U S I mean, they're Jap the, the Japanese side of Rakuten is enormous like you could equate it to like an amazon almost um they touch a lot of stuff really amazing story in the u.s they had a u.s division which had a lot of companies um so we were just becoming a part of a like a logistics division in this huge conglomerate um and we were going to be providing the transportation expertise to optimize packages and all these facilities so they were going to grow these the number of these facilities around the united states and first mile was going to be providing some really unique and special transportation initiatives within this network. Um, so they, they made this pitch to Japan. Um, and then that's why they ended up acquiring us. That story took 18 months. I mean, that was a really condensed version of sure. it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that happened in, in 2019. And as a part of that, I agreed to stick around for four years. Um, okay. I was, I was paid over four years. So, you know, I, I still had, a lot of incentive and we stayed very tightly aligned to performance. Like I had to make sure we were getting them a, a nice return on their investment and, and growing, you know, based on hitting certain metrics. And, um, and so we did that for four years and that, that was going to end. Well, that did end this last December meeting. I also knew that probably I was getting fired in December. Sure. Um, because they, you know, they'll go and, and usually a founder, they don't keep them around forever. Sure. Um, and so, you know, a couple of years ago, I had planted some seeds to, so I had a full-time job when December came, you know, uh, we've got a little, well, I've got a farm and, and, and we do some, we raise some cattle and, and farm some alfalfa and, and some grass hay. Uh, but that's, that's like the easy side of hard. Um, you know, we also and, have a little software startup and, and a restaurant, gas right? station. We're doing a restaurant, not starting a restaurant, but we've remodeled a really phenomenal restaurant called the hub it's a hundred years old almost oh, wow. uh started in the 30s midway, utah? In, no in heber heber utah yep you know it started in the 30s so it's probably not only is it one of the oldest restaurants in town it's probably one of the oldest businesses still alive um okay so let me make sure i understand so that that was a lot so you have a restaurant you have a farm you have a software business what am i missing you have a gas station a service yeah, station? Yeah, we do this. We have a service station. We have a little equipment rental business, um, elevated equipment where we, we rent out, you know, excavators. And, and then you access. said that's the easy part of hard. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, the farm is like, you know, because I, I knew I was probably going to be getting fired in December. So I wanted to have a full-time job. So like the gamble was the software. Now, now let business. me ask you this. Was full-time job to keep your mind busy and you busy or to monetize? Or a combination of the two? Both. Like, I still need an income. Yeah. You know, like, you have, like, bets out in the market, but I still want to have, like, flow an income. Yeah. You know, and so, but but I, I wasn't going to be probably the best 
employee necessarily. So I, I wanted to start something that would pay me. I can't see you as an employee. Something, you know? <laughs> There's just no way. Um, you have to be the CEO, the founder. Well, I, I've got to feel like I'm building something. Yeah. And, and so, um, but yeah, so a number of years ago, we, we did this little software startup that, well, I started investing and building in, in it, um, you know, and, 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 and then these other things that are probably full-time jobs, but when you have partners, you know, they can do a lot of the heavy yeah, lifting. Leverage. And so, you know, the, the gas station, the restaurant and the, and the equipment rental business is really special, amazing partner there. Um, one of the best guys you'll ever meet young guy, hard worker, like, you know, just a really phenomenal guy, Bridger snow up there in Heber, Utah. But, um, yeah, so I got spread kind of thin, but knowing like a big part of what was on my plate was likely going away. Um, and then it didn't. Then it didn't. <laughs> Came right back to you. Well, yeah. I mean, things, you know, when you're, when you're a part of a big ecosystem like that, like the size of Rakuten, like they got a lot going on. How, how big is Rakuten? Just so that uh, I couldn't, I mean, they, in terms of like transaction value, like they deal with, they deal with numbers that starts with T's and B's, you okay. know, like big, big. Um, and in the like, U.S. Like I think at lunch you were saying like a few million dollar check. It's a rounding error for them. It, they don't even notice that it's going out. Yeah. I mean, they they probably, I mean, hundreds of millions is right. like an error, yeah. like a rounding thing to them. Like, right. Like if, if they're estimating the size of their American portfolio, like they don't say it's worth three billion Five hundred millions, you know, and seventy-six million. It's like it's like ah, it's, you know, it's it's a it's a two billion dollar thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's so, um, and and I don't know if that's the value. I'm just generalizing. Like even the size of our companies, you know, at that you know last year, you know, we probably were maybe close to three hundred million in revenues. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, like that's not a huge deal yeah, to them small. probably. And the reason that's worth it's noting is- It's an aggregator is, play for them. It's just we're buying this piece for the big piece. Yeah, and so what ended up happening is, uh, you know, they have a lot going on and logistics became probably less of a priority is probably safe to say. Um, and so at the end of last year, it was kind of like, hey, you know, you can tell this division's become less important than it was three years ago. Sure. And I think that's because some of the leadership between Japan and the U S had changed. Some of the, some of the priorities had changed. Um, and so they, they put that division up for sale. Uh, they, it actually went under a contract that didn't end up working out. Um, and, and here the you next are. thing, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to them and, and about like, Hey, what are you going to do? I need to kind of tell my employees what's going on since you, you put us up for sale, they all know that because they're a part of the due diligence sure. question and answers in that process. Um, we then go into where there's a buyer and we're answering questions for him. And now that's gone away. What do you want me to tell them now? You know, this is your company. I'm trying to like, just make sure everything's, there's some continuity and everyone's happy. Um, and that conversation turned into like, we're not really sure. And it was like, well, Maybe I should buy it. Like, ah, no, like that's, I don't have the resources for that. So we, you know, we negotiate back and forth and, and we end up transacting a deal where I bought my company back as well as the other company that was a part of our division. And so now we have, we, we, we operate two main companies, First Mile, 
which is like a carrier, right? So we go in, if, if you're making a widget, if you make watches or t-shirts, we're coming in and saying, Hey, we want to be a provider. We want to, you know, we want to win your business, you know, from UPS or FedEx or whoever you, the post office, whatever, like we want to contribute to delivering your packages around the world. Whereas ship network is complementary. It works with the same type of customer. But in that case, we have 12 warehouses around the United States. So we want to put your product in our warehouse in New York or Atlanta or Chicago or Houston or Denver, or Reno, LA, Salt Lake. Um, and we will, we will recover your goods from your manufacturer in China. They'll come into our facilities somewhere in the United States. Um, we will connect to your Amazon store, your websites. And as those orders come in, we then will pull them off the shelves and ship them out the door for you with one of our carrier partners. You probably can guess the one that we default to would be First Mile, um, but we also work with other carriers like UPS as well. Um, but that's the two main businesses we run, First Mile and Ship Network. And are you the, so what's your role currently? I'm the CEO. You're the CEO? Yeah, I'm the CEO of Parcel World, which um, owns both companies. So that's the top cone, then you have two different brands. Yeah, yeah different we've got companies. some divisions that sit underneath that, but the two main ones are First Mile and Ship Network. Yeah. Okay, so how do you find the time to do your farm, to do the hub, to do your service station. How many kids do you have? Five. Five kids. Yep. You're heavily involved in their lives. So how, how do you deal with all the above? Well, I'm probably not doing a great job of it and I'm trying to get some stuff off my plate. Um, and so like with farming, uh, thank heavens I've got a great uh, partner. We, we actually raised some buck and bulls um, and, and uh, a partner of mine's you know, been in the rodeo circuit and is, I think kind of like, you know, he's probably on the tail end of, of, of that career. And so he's now helping me full time, you know, work the farm. Cause I, I, I'm tapped out. I, I can't. Sure. Um, and, and I've got great partners and great employees that help. Like you literally can't, cause all of it's like a full-time job, running a restaurant's full-time job, running a gas station would be a full-time job. But my, my partner up there, like he's amazing. Uh, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. His name's Muhammad. He's been in the service industry for his whole life. And so, you know, he's got a great team and, and, and they, and, and we do phenomenal things there, you know, because of the team that's there. Sure. Um, same thing with the equipment business and the farm. Like you can't do it. Our, our teams at first small and ship network are phenomenal. Um, we've got a great operators, great managers. You know, I think we have maybe five or 600 employees. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't be the day-to-day -day guy for 600 people. Um, so it's, it's teams, it's, it's, you know, I sort of take the brunt end of the risk in most cases. Um, so hopefully we make things work. Um, but uh, phenomenal team is really the only way you can do anything. And that, that's the thing. Any company, I don't care if it's Chase Bank. I don't care if it's the biggest insurance company you can think of. The things that seem the hardest to penetrate, wh whether you're in sales. I learned this probably most poignantly when I was like day-to-day -day in sales. Like, I don't care how big or bad or difficult a company seems. At the end of the day, a company is people. And so if you're trying to get into a door, if you're trying to talk to someone and you think there's no way I could ever close a deal with you named the, the impossible company to talk to at the end of the day, talking to that company is talking to people. So yeah. you just have to well, find at some the point people. somebody close those companies at, at some, and, and the people that are signing the contracts are people. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just all companies are people. So you've just got to be good with people.
So lesson there, would it be you have to be good with people and don't be intimidated? Yeah, like don't let the size of a company or the complications of their bureaucracy intimidate you. Or potentially you. even the sophistication no. of the person that you're talking with. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, at we're At the all end human. of the day, they were born from parents. They probably got kids. They went to a high school. They went to a college. They have a hobby. When they leave here, they take that suit and tie off and they go to Starbucks or they go wherever. Um, and, and they're just like you. You know, I love that. I um, love that. So let, let's do this. We've gone over a lot, a lot of great lessons. I've tons of insights. I've taken tons of notes. Um, the name of the show is live life by design. So let's end this way. Um, and, and, and what I mean by live life by design is either you're designing your own life. You're working through your life. You're the author of your life. And if you're not taking care of you, if you're not commanding the week to do what you want it to do, the week is owning you. So yep. as we end, what are a couple of quick nuggets on this is the advice I would give. This is what I've learned on how to truly live your life by design in any aspect of the whole person paradigm, be spiritual, intellectual, oh, mental, man. anything at all. That is a great question. I think that I could probably give you a very poetic answer with more time, but I think the, um, short version of the lessons I've learned would be that things can go wrong and things will go wrong. And if you can put one foot in front of the other, you will find a way to survive. And, and you can, uh, that doesn't mean you're going to be successful all the time that it, and success doesn't have to even mean you're financially successful, right? Like that's not the, that's not the point. Um, but you, you might have a divorce in your family. You might get divorced yourself. You might have a, a, a child pass away, which would be devastating. Like you might have a business fail. Um, like the, the sun will hopefully come up for you tomorrow and, and you can fight your way through. Um, but you, you've got to do it for the people around you. You've got to. So, so I think the fear, um, should only awaken you to taking proper risk, but it shouldn't stop you from living. Um, and I think that so that's the ultimate gift, right? Living. Living. Is what you're saying. And so it reminds me. I don't know if you saw this, but it was this guy asking, "Hey, if I gave you a million bucks, would you take it?" What's your answer? You'd say yes, probably. Well, yeah, right? yeah. Okay, if I gave you ten million bucks, but the condition is you won't wake up tomorrow, would you take it? I take it and give it to my kids. <laughs> so the response is, you know, I want to be alive. Yeah. Right? So what we're saying is our life is worth way more than 10 million bucks. Oh yeah. Cause we're not willing to trade that day of not waking up for the 10 million. Yeah. So the lesson that I'm learning is don't take life so seriously when you're in those serious moments. Yeah. Because tomorrow the sun is going to rise as long as you're alive, obviously. Yeah. And good will always come if you allow it to come in. Yeah, and it's definitely easier said than done. But when you're when you're having to wake up and do a hard job or do something you don't particularly love, do it anyways, and and do it while you're paying attention to the details, being good to people, being the best at it you can, because you'll find your way through. the The thing that would be miserable is doing something you're miserable at and doing it half-assed because you're just trying to do the minimum to mm. go home. Mm. Because what that means is 
you're oh, that's all you're ever going to experience because you're not you're not getting ahead in any way. You're not making a connection to a something else. You're not connecting to something else. You're not progressing somewhere. If you're just doing something that you're not finding satisfaction in and you're, but you're only doing it to where you can just barely get by, you can just keep getting that paycheck, you can keep you can just, you know, punch the clock and go home. Like, yeah, that's going to be miserable, mm. right? But if it, but you can still do that miserable thing because it might lead to somewhere else, but, but do it with a smile on your face, fake it till you make it be good to everyone around you because that person around you somewhere, that customer, that vendor, that supplier that just really pissed you off. Don't burn the bridge because you might need them sometime in the future. They might need you sometime in the future. You might both change jobs and find out you're actually best friends. Like don't burn the bridge, Love that. treat everyone well. Um, and, and, and you will be able to move forward in whatever it is you're trying to do. I think beautifully said poetic at best. Yeah. So much love. Thanks for being on the show. Learned a lot today. This is Lou and Life by Design. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.